turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're looking at just verses 8 to 14 this morning. Luke 2, verses 8 to 14. As the Christmas cards arrive, I uh, read again all kinds of announcements concerning Christmas. Especially we who have secular friends often send out cards that we want to make a point of some of the meaning of Christmas and point people to uh, Christ if, to, in whatever little way we can. And many such messages abound in Christmas cards and Christmas letters, some subtle, some not. Uh, things like you've all heard, uh, Jesus is the reason for the season, or, or perhaps the essence of Christmas is not the presence, it's Christ's presence. Or simply, why is men still seek him? Lots of announcements of Christmas, but nothing holds a candle to the announcement that uh, is the original announcement made by the angels to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. Their words are very familiar to us. We could probably quote them, but this Christmas morning I want us to focus on them again, albeit briefly. Let me read. I'll pick up with verse 8. The uh, announcements actually start a couple verses later, but verse 8 down through verse 14 of Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. As I pondered this passage this week, um, you know, you don't lay it down. You start studying, and then you kind of think about it. And then uh, one morning I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I thought, oh, boy, I need to sleep longer than this. And I couldn't go back to sleep. And so from 4 to 5, I pondered this um, text, and it kind of fell apart to me. And I realized there are really three things that this teaches us, I think. And so um, this is my 4 o'clock in the morning uh, outline. Uh, I'll stand by it, though. It's wonderful. Three things. The first is this. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. You know, we're people always in a hurry, always impatient. And so we tend to be impatient with God, too, because he is not often on our timetable. But the angel's announcement in verse 11 seems carefully Crafted, Though we may think God has forgotten all about his promises, he's not caring about us, this passage seems to be carefully crafted, crafted to make the point that whether on our timetable or not, God keeps his promises. Listen to it again. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. We see it in several ways here. First note that this had to do with a birth. Now, I don't really know a lot about the Jewish expectations concerning the Messiah, but I doubt that they focused on a baby being born. I'm sure they focused on lots of things, but not so much on a baby being born. 
Oh, but Mary and Joseph's expectations focused very much on a baby being born. The angel Gabriel had said to Mary, you will be with child and you will give birth to a son. Name him Jesus. And, and to Joseph, the angel said the same kind of thing. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. And on that night, God kept his promise. And a young virgin named Mary bore a son whom they named Jesus. Oh, but that was only the beginning of of God's promises. Way back in 2 Samuel 7, God had promised to raise up a king from David's line. A son who would establish God's kingdom the kingdom of which David was king, would establish it forever. He would be God's anointed one, the Messiah, or the Christ. Both of those words, Messiah in Hebrew and Christ in, G- in Greek, mean anointed one. And it, all took, it was all to take place in, uh, in uh, Bethlehem. Um, and God kept this promise. A son was born. Of the line of David, we have his genealogy uh, traced in Matthew and again in Luke. He was called Christ the Anointed One, the Lord, David's God. And it all took place in Bethlehem, David's hometown, though neither Mary nor Joseph lived in Bethlehem. God temporarily relocated them to make it clear he was keeping his promises. Oh, there's still more about this. God had promised a Savior. A deliverer, a redeemer, that promise appeared in many, many different forms over all the centuries of the Old Testament history. It was first heard in the garden when Adam sinned, and God pronounced a curse on Adam and the, and, and, and the world. But God promised that one day a descendant would come, the seed of the woman, a, a, a descendant born of a woman who would crush Satan's head that promise was uh, repeated in lots of ways throughout the Old Testament. It was acted out when God sent Moses down into Egypt to deliver his enslaved people. And on the Passover night, he freed them from that slavery. But the greatest promise of salvation was delivered really through the prophet Isaiah, who told of the coming suffering servant who would take away people's sins, for that's the ultimate slave. And on that Christmas night, this is exactly what the angel announced. After all these years and all these signs and all these shadows throughout the whole Old Testament, the angel announced the birth of the promised Savior. A Savior has been born. Not just a king, not just a Messiah, not just a teacher, not a prophet. A Savior has been born. And just as God commanded, he had been named Jesus. Same name as Joshua. Or in Hebrew, Yahshua, which means Yahweh saves. God kept his promises. This Christmas morning, the world's in a mess. Perhaps your life seems chaotic too, out of control. Do not lose hope. Do not despair. Do not give up, for God still keeps his promises, and he has everything under control control. Then there's a second thing we learn from the angel's announcement. 
And that is that heaven and earth are rejoicing. Heaven and earth are rejoicing. You know, we don't know much about what goes on in heaven, but we know a little. We know that sometime in ages past, the evil one, once one of God's angelic beings, apparently led a revolt against the Lord, bringing division and unspeakable grief to the heavenly hosts. We know that people martyred over the centuries um, for their faith in heaven from beneath the altar, it says, they cry out to the Lord, how long, how long, how long till justice comes for us. We know from Peter that the angels of heaven are, are, are perhaps confused, perhaps don't quite understand, but they long to look into what God's saving plan actually is. And we learn from the Apostle Paul that uh, when they see God's grace unfolded, that the heavens rejoice. So we ought not be surprised that when the Savior is born on earth, a great company of the angelic host appear with the announcing angel and, 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 and praising God and, and saying glory to God in the highest. All the heavens rejoice in the Lord's birth. Now, although we know very little about heaven, we know quite a little bit about earth. All of earth's history is filled with evil and strife, with hatred and killing to this very day. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds us that this is our own personal history. We read in Titus, at one time we too were foolish and disobedient and and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So that being the state of the world under sin... It should be no surprise that when the Deliverer, the Prince of Peace, God's righteous King was actually born on the earth, the angelic host pronounced peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. Oh, we don't see it all worked out yet. But we do, there's a sense in which peace is now a certainty The Savior took the hatred and the strife upon himself. He paid the penalty for our wickedness. By doing so, he tore down the walls that divide us so that within the body of Christ, there is no longer any division that can stand. He sent his Holy Spirit to fill his people so that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what our circumstances, his peace can and should reign in us and among us. And now he promises that one day, The curse of sin on the earth will be forever removed and the heavens and the earth made new. This is indeed good news of great joy. You see, Isaiah the prophet was not exaggerating when he foresaw the wolf lying down with the lamb and when he foresaw a world without harm or destruction. And the angels seeing the beginning of peace on earth because the prince of peace was born, praised God, saying glory to God, not only in the highest heaven, but also on the strife-filled earth. Glory to God among those with whom he is well pleased. He sends peace. Heaven and earth are rejoicing. And today, 
in the midst of all your celebration, do not fail to sing with the angels joy to the Lord, to the world the Lord has come. But there's one more part of the angel's announcement to bring us to our third point. You will find him where you least expect. You will find him where you least expect. We may imagine Old Testament times as a world of very simple houses, very simple villages, uh, with homes made out of homemade bricks, and that's not completely wrong. But it was also a world of ancient architectural wonders, one of which was the temple in Jerusalem. It was built centuries earlier, right after the return of the Jews from captivity in Babylon. But much later, Herod did a massive 46-year renovation of the temple. In fact, Herod expanded the size of the temple, building new walls around it, uh, 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 expanded the size until the area within the temple was 35 acres. That's the Jewish temple of Jesus' day. So after hearing the angel's extravagant description of Jesus coming to the world, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Messianic King, who is, who is, uh, at who is appearing, the angels in heaven could not contain their joy. We might just assume that Jesus would naturally find a home in that temple. But nothing could be further from the truth. Listen to the angel's announcement of where the shepherds could find him. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. In other words, you will find this redeemer, this savior, this messianic king sharing a cattle stall with the farm animals. The shepherds would find Jesus where they least expected and Jesus' circumstances didn't really change so much as he grew up. He spent his youth in a carpenter's shop with Joseph. When he began his public ministry, he didn't teach in the temple. He taught outdoors up in the hills along the shore of the Sea of Galilee where fishermen worked. His friends were working class people, some of those fishermen. And the recipients of his ministry were social outcasts and public thieves and and uh, prostitutes and public sinners. As Jesus' ministry gained a following, he found himself in an even more hostile world. Both religious leaders and political leaders found him threatening. And eventually they plotted to rid themselves of him. And so he was arrested. He was subjected to a farce of a trial. He was flogged, though he had just been, just been uh, uh, declared not guilty. And handed over to Roman executioners to be crucified. If you wanted to find Jesus, you wouldn't go to the temple. You'd go out to a hill outside of Jerusalem where you would find him hanging, suffering, dying on a cross. But there's another side to this important truth. It was not just that Jesus did not run with the popular well-heeled crowd. It was also that you will find him. 
not when you have it all together. He came to save the lost. He came to release people enslaved by all kinds of things. He came to deliver sinners who couldn't even help themselves. And those folks are still the ones who respond to Jesus' call. For he gives hope to the hopeless. But there's no other Savior. There's no Savior who was not first the suffering servant on the cross paying for our sins. And there's no Savior whom we might embrace without humbling ourselves and admitting our desperate need. You will find Jesus in the time and the place in your life when you would never have expected to find him here. And that's why it makes perfect sense for us to come to the Lord's table on Christmas morning. For knowing Jesus is not just about knowing his greatness and his glory. It's not just about singing with the angels. Knowing Jesus is about realizing that we really truly are at the end of our rope. It's about crying out to him for mercy and receiving that his, and realizing and experiencing that his grace is greater than we ever dreamed. And that's when we finally understand his glory. It's not about wealth and power. His glory is his grace and mercy to undeserving sinners whom he raises to new life. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the angel's announcement with its many, many layers of meaning for us. Maybe not just because the words are familiar, skip by these things, but maybe we think about it and meditate on it and find our joy. Find our peace. Find our salvation. In the Savior. Control our thinking as we meditate on this, as we come to the table, that we might know you as we should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.